It's Monday, and you're with Bob McAvoy, right here on the Semper Reformata podcast. Well, good morning, good morning. It's 8 o'clock on Monday morning, the 18th of July, 2022. And this is Bob McAvoy, with a weekly look at what's happening, and perhaps a little bit of ethical commentary from a Christian standpoint. And for some good news, the online safety bill has been dropped from the House of Commons agenda. Apparently, it was because the Labour Party had demanded a vote of no confidence in the government, and that denied the bill the time for its first reading. Well, perhaps so. There was, of course, a lot of opposition to the bill, both inside and outside the House, with several MPs and non-governmental organisations flagging up the bill's restrictions on free speech. Christians especially would have been targeted under the bill. For example, even the public preaching of Romans chapter 1 or 1 Corinthians chapter 6 could have been considered harmful under the terms of that bill. It's quite possible that the withdrawal of the online safety bill was a response to widespread opposition, and that the Labour motion was just a convenient excuse for its demise, with the additional benefit of shifting the blame across the Commons chamber. Well, anyway, it's gone. It's gone for now, at least. Maybe it'll come back and we mustn't rest. Similar legislation may be resurrected by a future administration. Let's go to New Zealand, where the socialists, or perhaps they really are communists in government, serving under the Tony Blair-mentored Premier Jacinta Ardern, are doing everything they can to force people to eat bugs and vegetables so they can save the planet. And that seems to include taxing farmers for when their cows burp. You heard that right, when their cows burp. The website NPR reports... New Zealand has announced a plan to tax livestock burps in an effort to curb the country's gas emissions. Methane emissions from animals is a well-known issue, according to the website. Cows alone are responsible for about 40% of those planet-warming gases globally, mainly through their burps. Because what they really want is for farmers to stop producing meat altogether so that they can raise the price of meat so much that people can't afford to eat it and then offer them insects and plants instead. Look, if someone wants to restrict their diet to non-meat products, that's entirely up to them. But no one should be forced to do so, certainly not by ideologically driven overlords. All foods are given for our blessing, and all foods should be available to us. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul condemns those who teach in the church that we should abstain from meats. Meats that had been sacrificed to idols, but in that context he speaks about foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. Now I know that context is about false teaching and apostasy, But the point still remains that all food is given by God for our use. Farmers are rightly alarmed by the highly coordinated worldwide push to reduce national herds of cattle and sheep. 
have already reported on how our local assembly in Northern Ireland aims to reduce the regional herd by around 1 million cattle and sheep. On the 22nd of April of this year, the Guardian carried a report which read Northern Ireland will need to lose more than 1 million sheep and cattle to meet its new legally binding climate emissions targets. In Holland, a tractor protest has been taking place. Farmers are protesting against unreasonable nitrogen directives from the government, aimed to combat climate change, of course, which, if implemented, will force many of them out of business. One man, one farmer from Holland, complaining that under this new directive, he would lose 95% of his herd, left with 5%. How could you make that pay? Fox News carried a report on July the 10th, quote, Farmers in the Netherlands have formed their own version of Canada's Freedom Convoy, blocking highways with tractors, setting bales of hay on fire and taking other actions to protest the government's recent goal to cut emissions that could force some farms to shut. Roughly 40,000 protesters gathered in central Netherlands to protest plans to curb the emissions of nitrogen and ammonia last month. Weeks later, the protests have continued across the country with no signs of appearing. Unquote. Well, shots have been fired by the police, at least at one tractor. But what I'm wondering really is, what happens to the land after the farmers have left it, after they've gone bankrupt? In the USA, organisations with links to Bill Gates have been buying up farmland right across the country, with The Guardian reporting that Mr Gates owns more farmland than anyone else in America. And you can be fairly certain that the deserted farms will be bought at well below the true value of the land if it were to be commercially farmed. And I'm wondering, could something like that be happening in Holland? In an interesting twist to this story, a fire has destroyed a food delivery facility in Holland. The factory is owned by a firm called Picnic, and it was destroyed in a blaze on Sunday, 10th of July. Well, the major background Picnic with 600 million euros of a stake is, you guessed it, Mr Bill Gates. German farmers and now even Spanish farmers have been out protesting in support of their Dutch colleagues. And the Canadian truckers have also established links with the protesters in Holland. They have a slogan, no farmers, no food, no future. Well, God bless the farmers. It is their calling to feed the world. And may the Lord prevent those who seek to hinder them in that God-given task. Let's keep an eye out for what the climate change fanatics and the population alarmists at Davos are up to. It's all far too coordinated to be accidental. And in Sri Lanka, a huge groundswell of populist revulsion with the way that the government there has behaved over the past two years has actually led to the overthrow of the ruling cabal. The president of the country has been even seen fleeing from the docks on board a naval vessel. And the presidential palace has been overrun with protesters swarming through the grounds and into the building, even swimming in the president's private swimming pool. The Sri Lankan central bank has been breached too, as crowds entered the premises protesting at food and fuel shortages, calling it 
An uprising fueled by green madness, Mark Ammon, the director of the Crisis Research Institute in Oxford, writing for the Daily Mail, commented, Make no mistake, the roots of this chaos can be traced back to Rajapaksa's wrong-headed thinking on farming. In his 2019 manifesto, he pledged to transform Sri Lanka into an organic nation within a decade reducing and eventually banning chemical fertilisers, herbicides and insecticides. But the trade-off, as Sri Lanka has learned the hard way, is food production tumbling over a cliff. For them, going green meant going hungry. Now that should serve as a warning to other governments, especially to ours, that they govern as servants of the people on the people's behalf, not as petty dictators doing the bidding of some supranational focus group or elite clique. It's time to scrap the net zero madness and give the people some relief. And lastly, we return to that old canard. The hardest question of all these days, what is a woman? Well, there was a strange but very telling exchange in the United States last week when a senator, a Mr. Hawley, asked a professor if only women had the capacity for pregnancy. Here it is. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks to all of the witnesses for being here. Before, uh, I want to visit with you, Ms. Minsky, but before I do, I just want to clear one thing up. Professor Bridges, you said several times, you've used a phrase, I want to make sure I understand what you mean by it. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. It, would that be women? Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's a, it's, we can it's recognize a that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, <laughs> um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? So I'm one, I want to note that one out of five transgender uh, persons have attempted suicide. So I think it's important because of my line of questioning. Because so we can't talk about it. Because denying that trans people exist and pretending not to know that they exist. I'm is denying dangerous. that trans people exist by asking Are you? you if you're talking Are you? about women Are you? having pregnancies. Do you believe that the, uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so you are denying that trans people like this thing. And that leads to violence? Is this how you run your classroom? Are students allowed to question you? Absolutely. Or are they also treated like this? Where no, you, no, no. They're, they're told that to they're a- opening up people to oh, violence. We have a good time in my class. You should join. Oh, I bet. You might learn a lot. Wow. I, I would learn a lot. I've learned a you, lot I know. this exchange. Absolutely. Extraordinary. For goodness sake, you can't even ask this woman a question. But notice the tactic. If you question the narrative, you're phobic. And you're guilty of inciting violence and suicide. That's the tactic that's been used by the LGBT lobby over and over again, not just in America, but on this side of the Atlantic also. And it's used to shut down debate and kill off opposition to their agenda. And staying with that topic, now it seems like the Church of England have also been scratching their heads, trying to find the answer to the question. 
And guess what the answer is, according to Archbishop Wokeby and his friends? What is a woman? You guessed it. They don't know. But hey, they've set up a committee to try to work it out. The Daily Mail files a report on July the 10th, revealing that, and I quote, the Church of England has admitted it does not have a definition of the word woman. A bishop said yesterday that the meaning of the word used to be self-evident, but he added that there are now complexities associated with gender identity, which a church project about sexuality and relationships is exploring. Well, I wonder, will the church project actually explore the Bible and take God at his word, his infallible word, and agree that a woman is an adult human female created by God, made as such in her mother's womb? Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. There's no problem there at all. Today's grace gem is from James Smith in the pastor's morning visit. James Smith writes, How can a man be just before God? Where is his righteousness to come from? Jehovah answers, His righteousness is from me. Jesus wrought it, The Father imputes it to us, the Gospel reveals it, and faith receives it, puts it on and pleads it before God. Precious Jesus, in you alone I have righteousness and strength. Well, you can find more inspirational quotes like that on www.gracegems.org. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those who are called to work in the vital food industry, for those who bring our daily bread to our tables, for farmers and processors, supply chain workers, supermarket assistants, for those who run and operate food banks, helping others who are in need. Father, we praise you for all of them. And we are alarmed at the policies of governments who hinder them in their God-given vocations. We pray that you would bless and encourage them in their vital work and remove all those obstacles. For we know that this earth contains so much goodness that everyone should have sufficient. And Father, we mourn over human greed. And we ask you to remove the influence of those who want to live opulent lifestyles for themselves while at the same time oppressing others and impress upon us all the precious nature of every single human life made in the image of God so that we truly value all our neighbours. We pray that in this week that lies ahead of us in our lives that we will seek the Lord while he may be found, and know him, whom to know is eternal life. Well, that's all for now. Tune in tomorrow, Tuesday, July the 19th at 1 o'clock for the first short podcast in a mini-series on John Knox, Scotland's Reformer. You can download and listen wherever you get your podcasts.
Catechism lessons resume in September, and there will be some bonus episodes, including some church history during the summer. Join us for worship if you're free, each Lord's Day morning at Ballymacashan Church, 78 St. Field Road, Calinche, County Down, at 11.30am. And whatever you do, don't be discouraged. Instead, redeem the time. Keep praying and keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus. Keep reading his word and longing for him. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.